Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Almost. So close. Uh, it's, uh, I'm Tim Drum, the pastor of student ministries here at EBC. Uh, grateful to be able to, to fill in uh, for our pastor. Uh, he, so he was able to take some, some much needed and well-earned time off this last week. Uh, hopefully they're able to get some good rest and relaxation, maybe uh, get out of town for a bit or, or do nothing, uh, maybe go see, see a movie. I'm always interested this time of year in the movies that end up coming out, right? There's always the Thanksgiving week movie, and then there's the Christmas week movie that comes out. It used to be, back in the day, um, that's something old people say, back in the day, you used to have to go to the movie theater to see a movie. Now they've got like the digital releases coming out where it's like only available on, I'm not giving anyone any credit. Um, but you, have to, you have to go to that streaming service to watch it. So I kind of like the theater, but I also like not having to pay $20 for popcorn. So I also like my couch. So it's, you know, there's pros and cons. Um, but as you're watching movies, there, there's several different parts of movies that are very important to make them a good movie, and those parts are gonna depend on uh, the genre of the movie. Um, one of these is in the, you know, some of the classic uh, Rise of the Underdog movie. There's always, always, always has to be a good training montage. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, cue Eye of the Tiger and roll the footage. Right? There's gotta be the punching and the running, there's always stairs involved. Uh, you have to have the, the part of the montage where they like mess up, right? They slip or they fall or, or they make a wrong move or something. Uh, but are they going to give up? You know they're not. You know it because the epic music is still playing, right? It's still going. So you know they're going to get up, they're going to dust themselves off, and they're going to keep, keep rolling. And I don't know about you, uh, but I often get to the end of a year um, and, and kind of feel... Uh, feel a bit like a spiritual underdog. Uh, feel like maybe instead of you finishing the year, the year finished you. <laughs> Look back and it's like, man, was, that was a rough year. You may feel that way. You may, you may feel the same way. You may look back on this year and feel that there were more spiritual failures than spiritual triumphs. Like if your life were a movie, you'd be about due for a good training montage. Uh, too often, I, the, the, the fleeting pleasures of sin will get the best of us and begin to take over if we aren't careful. Our cultural mentality of you deserve it, have what you want, starts to sink in and push our temptations over into full-on sins in our life. Throughout the New Testament, we see several different passages that are like, like training montage scenes concerning our spiritual lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who comp competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You see that training language, right? 
running, competing, exercising, self-control, aiming, boxing, discipline, all in this one, one passage. Again, Philippians 3, 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Similar competitive language here. Paul, at the end of his life, looking back on his ministry, said, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Numerous other passages com- communicate this same competitive language, this training analogy. First Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. Second Timothy 2, if anyone competes as an athlete, James 1.12, those who persevere receive the crown of life. 1 Peter 5, when Christ appears, we receive the unfading crown of glory. It's all over. And we see it also in the passage we'll dive into this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, where the author uses this picturesque language of running a race. How you run the race of your Christian life is absolutely crucial. It is critical to whether you are going to run the race well with endurance and strength or if you're gonna pass out under the pressure. There are parts of your life that if left to themselves will hold you back and drag you down and slow you down in your pursuit of Christlikeness. If you have too much Dragging you down, holding you back, it's just a matter of time before you fall down on the track. And again, you may feel that today. The very last day of the year, looking back at 2023, you may have started the year with the best of intentions. You may look back and remember January 1st and the resolutions you made and kept for a week. those intentions that you had just didn't pan out the way that you had hoped. There may be sin in your life that a year ago you were ready to do away with and yet here you are today still struggling with the same thing. What we need this morning is a, a spiritual training montage. We need coach in our face calling us back to the basics to remember our training to recall to mind what we know to run this race well. And the author of Hebrews does just that with his audience in the beginning of chapter 12. The spiritual montage this morning will hopefully serve to stir up within you holy affections for God and his truth that will launch you into a year that is filled with his glory and your good. So we'll see here in Hebrews 12, verses one through three, are three scenes of your spiritual montage. Three scenes of your spiritual montage. The first scene is of you learning to run with faith. It's a scene of you learning to run with faith. The author says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, the first word is therefore. Any good student of the Bible knows that anytime you see a therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it there for? Right? The answer is to point at the previous context right beforehand. 
He even summarizes this therefore, saying, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, what is this cloud of witnesses? In chapter 11, the author tracks through the history of the world and mentions a handful of amazing men and women of the faith who have gone before us. Chapter 11 is frequently referred to as the Hall of Faith. Every one of these members of the Hall of Faith each faced the fleeting pleasures of the world and fled from them by faith. And they are a tremendous example to us. Abel faced the fleeting pleasure of being self-sustaining and greedy. Enoch faced the fleeting pleasure of walking the way of the world rather than walking with God. Noah faced the fleeting pleasure of living by what he could see rather than by faith. Abraham faced the fleeting pleasure of comfort in his homeland, loving his family, namely Isaac, more than trusting God. Sarah faced the fleeting pleasure of being more confident in science than the sovereignty of God. Moses faced the fleeting pleasure of, of prosperity and riches in Egypt, yet he abandoned those. Numerous others are listed if you go back and skim chapter 11, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Israel's army, Rahab, David, Samuel, the prophets. Verses 32 through 38, the author even mentions that there's, there's many others explaining he doesn't, he doesn't have time to talk about how many there are. It could go on and on and on, and the list could really continue beyond biblical times to the early church fathers, to the men and women of the Reformation, to the Puritans and many more, all the way to the cloud of witnesses living by faith around us right now. Many even here in this room, in our own body of believers here, demonstrating tremendous faith in the face of the fleeting pleasures of the world. The author says that this cloud of witnesses is surrounding us there are believers running the race of faith all around you. We have a, a godly heritage behind us. We have godly role models before us and Lord willing, we'll have a godly lineage in the future. The list goes on and on. It will continue to go on and on until the Lord returns. This is why the author says this is a great cloud of witnesses. He's talking about the, the quantity as well as the quality it's both enormous and overwhelmingly compelling. So the question is, what is it about faith that these men and women saw that was so enticing, so, so desirable, so superior that they chose to walk away from the fleeting pleasures of the world that we so frequently find ourselves caught up in? And what it really boils down to is a confident trust in the character of God that you and I just at, at times don't have. They remained steadfast. They endured with confident faith, confident trust in the Lord because they recognized that he is trustworthy. And so, in faith, all of these believers ran the race with endurance. They ran with endurance because they were clinging to the truths of God's word since they believed in the trustworthiness of God, they lived out the truths of God. And we fail and fall into the, the temptations of the fleeting pleasures of sin when we believe the siren calls of sin instead of the sovereign words of our Savior. Look again at verse one. Therefore, 
Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also, just like those who've gone before us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. That word lay aside means to cast off or put away. It's a strong urge to completely get rid of something. It's used several other times in the New Testament and is almost always talking about putting off some kind of sin or distraction from your life. And it's no different here. The author says to lay aside every encumbrance and sin. An encumbrance could literally be translated a, a mass or a weight. It carries the idea of, of something that hinders you from accomplishing something else. You want to run the race, but you have a, an anvil tied to your back. It's a, a burden. These encumbrances, it's important to note, are not necessarily sins. But they must be laid off. These are distractions. These are those things that pull your attention away from Christ. They pull your focus off of Christ. The author of Hebrews says these encumbrances have to be laid aside. They must be cast off. You can't allow them to distract you from the race that you're in. Imagine that you're running in a marathon. That might be harder for some of you to imagine than others. It's difficult for me. As you run, you see the water station up ahead. I know that those exist because I've seen it in movies. And they, there are people there ready to hand you a glass of water. And as you get closer, instead of giving you water, they start throwing blankets on you. Now what you're not gonna do is you're not gonna grab one and curl up and lay down. Right? You're in a race. I might do that, but I also wouldn't find myself in a marathon, so you get the picture. Right, what are you gonna do? You're gonna take the blankets and throw them? Like, what are you doing? I'm running in a race. Are you crazy? And where's my water? I'm parched. Right, That's the, the picture being painted here. You're in the race of your life, and these encumbrances are blankets being thrown on you, dragging you down and slowing you down. They're hindering you in your walk with the Lord. Not only does he say we're to cast aside encumbrances, but also we're to cast away the sin in our lives. Sin has a crippling effect on your spiritual life that will dry out the wellspring of your spiritual vigor and enthusiasm for Christ. It'll dry it up. The further you find yourself in sin, the more your spiritual endurance is snuffed out like a candle. The encumbrances and sins, he says, so easily entangle you. So easily entangle. It's, it means to encircle or to, to stand around. It's, it carries with it the idea of being trapped. Like you can't get out. Like an enemy is surrounding you and there's no escape. These distractions and sins are, are tripwires on the race of your life. The more you trip up, the more you become entangled. The more entangled you become, the more difficult it is to escape. Many of you have experienced this. You know what it feels like to fall into sin time and time again, to feel like you're completely wrapped up and are entangled and can't get out. Those things must be laid aside for the sake of your spiritual relationship with Christ. You cast them away. 
Now, this is gonna require some intentional heart searching. If you're gonna lay aside the weight and the sin that entangles you, you have to be aware of what they are. Believers frequently fail to do this. No time is given to personal introspection. You go from one task to the next to the next, constantly occupied every moment of the day. We love to be distracted, don't we? We just love it. And now we've got this pretty little screen in our pocket that allows us to do that always. If there's a quiet moment in the car or at home, we fill it. Turn on the radio. Turn on Spotify. Turn Turn on the TV. Turn on a podcast. Open a book. We fill it every moment that we have. It's far easier have our minds distracted than to contemplate what's happening in the hidden recesses of our heart. Too much time in silence may lead you to have to face who you really are on the inside, and quite frankly, that can be a terrifying place to be. Pretty good chance you'll find something in there you don't really like. Puritan John Flavel explains... There are some people who have lived 40 or 50 years in the world and have scarcely one hour's discourse with their own hearts. It's true, isn't it? As believers, you need to be in the business of examining your heart in light of the scriptures and then pray that the spirit would reveal sin and bring conviction into your heart. How can you hope to lay aside the encumbrance and sin if you don't know what they are? Edwards was a great example of this in his resolutions. He speaks of regularly examining his heart before the Lord at the end of each day, of each week, of each month, and of each year. He would look back at what was happening, not only in his behavior, but in his heart. What sins and encumbrances might have gotten the best of him. Now, a word of caution has to be put out here because many of you may struggle with over-introspection. You look too much at what's going on on the inside and that just leads to an overwhelming amount of guilt which can be an encumbrance in your life rather than a benefit. The goal is growth, not guilt. We're called to lay these things aside And then verse one continues to explain that we should run with endurance the race that is before us. Endurance could also be translated patience. When running the race of the Christian life, you are to run with patience. Has the idea of bearing up under difficulty, standing up under pressure. As life's temptations press down on you, it's the ability to remain on your feet and continue pressing on and to not buckle under the pressure of that temptation. The race set before us is that race toward Christ's likeness. It is the race toward holiness, to becoming more like him, toward satisfaction in Christ, rather than trying to find some fleeting satisfaction in the sins of this world. That is the the direction to run, is toward Christ. It is the goal that is where we are headed And that brings us to the second scene of your spiritual training montage, which is learning to run to Christ. Learning to run to Christ. 
After saying we need to run the race with endurance, the author now tells us how we are to run that race with faith and endurance. We don't want to be entangled. We don't want to be ensnared. We want to run with endurance, but how? Look at verse two. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I love this word, fixing. It's really incredible. It means to consider attentively or to look, but also packaged in there is not just looking at something, but it it has the idea of looking away from everything else to focus in on one specific thing. It is a, a solitary focus. To run the race with endurance, to run the race with diligence, we have to put everything out of our mind and focus on Christ in every area of our lives. This is the secret to strength and endurance throughout the race. You see, we can lay aside sin and encumbrances all day long, but if we don't intentionally focus our attention on Christ, it's just gonna come right back again. We're neglecting the only source we have for strength to run with endurance. This isn't new, right? We see it here. It's also in Colossians chapter three. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our attention must be fixated on Christ for as long as we live if we hope to continually lay these things aside if we hope to have that endurance, it's only gonna come through a mindset on Christ. Christ is who you want to clothe yourself with for the race. You aren't gonna suit up for a competitive race with a a wool jacket and Birkenstocks. That's a bad idea. You're going to trip. I know some of you are very skilled in Birkenstocks. I've seen it. You don't wanna race in them still. You clothe yourself with Christ. For this race. You may be wondering, what is it that we should be thinking on about Christ? Okay? Think on Christ, fix my mind on Christ. What about Jesus? The author answers this question in the rest of verse 2. Look there again. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. First thing you think about when you think of Christ is that he is both the author of faith and the perfecter of faith. This means he is the creator of faith. It originated with him. If not for Christ, there would be no faith. Christ is the author and the perfecter or finisher. He completes faith. In looking to Jesus, we are saved through faith and then he continually continues to perfect us by faith. Chapter 11 isn't just a, a, a chapter full of examples to follow. It's a, a chapter that lists dozens of amazing occasions where Christ perfected his people and performed amazing miracles through their faith. It's like Jesus' resume. Look at all of the amazing things that he has done in the hearts and lives of his people throughout the ages. And when you fix your attention on what God has done for millennia, you will realize that he can do the very same work in your heart as well. For heaven's sake, if he changed David and Abraham, he can change you. The second feature of Christ to fix your mind on is 
that he is the sacrifice for sinners. Look at verse two again. He's the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He is the sacrifice for sinners for the joy set before him. I've always thought that's such a strange sentence. For the joy set before him endured the cross. That's odd. Saying that Jesus endured the cross because he knew that it would bring joy. Christ looked at the cross, the immense suffering that he would face and knew that he must bear that burden for the joy to be experienced in the Father's presence. For that reason, Christ endured the cross. He bore the burden of sin for the joy of returning to the presence of the Father and one day taking every believer with him. Christ sacrificed himself to provide us with pure joy. Third, Christ is the scapegoat. Back in verse two, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Dying on the cross in that day was about the most shameful thing that could possibly happen. And Jesus hated the shame brought upon him at his death. He knew he was innocent. He knew he was perfect. He knew he was blameless and yet still bore the shame. He endured those things, though he didn't deserve it. He was our scapegoat because we deserved it. Leviticus 16 describes how a goat would be sent into the wilderness after the chief priest had symbolically laid the sins of the people on the goat. They would send it out. Christ is that scapegoat that took our sins upon himself and was an outcast. Fourth, Christ is the exalted one. The end of verse two, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. From shame and death to ultimate exaltation, Jesus has now been exalted to the highest place he could possibly be. One commentator says, from the pain and agony of the cross, God exalted Jesus to the position of a throne. And it is the exalted Christ that we must focus our attention on. He's no longer on the cross. He's no longer in the tomb. He is exalted as king over all creation. This is why we don't have a crucifix hanging up here. Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. The cross was not the culmination of God's glory, right? Christ has been exalted. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow to those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow the knee to Christ. Does this define the focus of your life? If not, what are you focused on? What captivates your attention? Take your eyes off the unsatisfying, wasteful, fleeting pleasures of this world and set your eyes on Christ. Give him your full attention 
Many of you want a, a better relationship with Christ, but you can't understand why you don't have it. All the while, you care more about politics or finances than the glory of Christ. Stop focusing on the world around you and look to Christ. Part of the way to fix your attention on Christ is to be in his word, to be in prayer, to be in church with God's people. And if you struggle to be in the word, you find it hard to pray, you don't see the importance and priority of being with God's people regularly, it's because you've not spent enough time fixing your eyes on the glory and majesty of Christ. And as long as that is the case, the fleeting pleasures of the world are always going to seem more desirable to you because you don't see Christ for who he really is. But as you intentionally move your attention from the things of this world to the glories of Christ, you begin to see the things of this world differently and your desires begin to change. I want to talk to the men in here for a moment. And I mean all of you men, the young ones, the old ones, the middle ones, all of the men. If you're in here and you're a man, you need to be the ones at the forefront of the race, leading the charge. The church is full of what I call a bunch of little baby men. It's true. You want to laugh, but you don't want to laugh because you know that it's true. Men who sit on the sidelines, who watch the women blaze the trail running toward Christ. I praised the Lord this morning when I looked at the football schedule and realized that the game isn't until one. It's God's grace, because half of you wouldn't have been here. I've been meeting with the men's ministry team to plan out the next year of ministry, and Man Up Mondays are part of the fruit of that discussion. Uh, we're calling it Man Up, because that's what some of you need to do. Some of you, it's, you've been sitting around long enough, and it's time to man up and start running toward Christ. Some of you, your wives are longing for you to lead, and they're leading because you're sitting. Some of you aren't racing toward Christ because you won't get your lazy bottom out of bed, right? I, feel, I look back at 2023, I struggled, all right? It was rough. Now, man up, Mondays... It's going to provide you the opportunity to do just that. You can both get out of bed and you get to start your week with some other men focusing in on the character of God in Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy. Classic line of that book is what, what you think about when you think of God is the most important thing about you. So man, we're going to get our minds straight, setting our focus on God and who he is. And I hope all of you are gonna be there, young and old, every one of you. Let's start the week together at 6 a.m. I will have donuts and coffee. It'll be there. I'm gonna make somebody else do it. <laughs> Men, start running. Start leading. Run after Christ and take those who are following with you. We all need to be doing this, don't we? Every last one of us in here, we need to be running this race toward Christ as fast as you possibly can. 
Focus on the finish line and run full steam ahead toward Christ-likeness and don't get distracted. You must learn to run with faith. You must learn to run to Christ. The final scene of your spiritual training montage is to, to learn to run with heart. You need to learn to run with heart. Look at verse three. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author starts this verse similar to how he started verse two, right? He says, fixing your attention on Christ. And now he says, consider him, think on Christ, think diligently, think entirely, think thoroughly and completely. He's reiterating, he's saying it again, emphasizing the importance of fixing your mind on Christ. You look to him, consider him. So what's the point? The point is that we're in a race, we are in a fight, we are running fast and it gets difficult. Sometimes you fall, sometimes you take a punch. And Christ is the ultimate example of endurance in the race because he ran it perfectly. He endured perfectly and he endured constant hostility. Jesus endured horrible rebellion against him. And so we are to think thoroughly about the hostility that Jesus faced so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. As time goes on, if you are living faithfully as a believer, you can expect hostility, right? Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You can expect there to be hostility. But Christ is the perfect example of endurance in every aspect of life. We can consider him in every situation that we find ourselves in. When you begin to think that life is getting really difficult and you consider Christ who was despised, who was rejected and endured perfectly. When you think your situation is, is hard to overcome beyond what you can possibly bear, you consider Christ who loved and endured a, a people who hated him. Considering Christ is the antidote for weariness. Grow weary in that verse could be translated to be tired or sick or to lose motivation. I really like the last one, the last translation there, to, to lose motivation. That's really what you're saying when you've grown weary, right? It's not that you like can't do it. Is it you just have lost the motivation to do it. When we lose motivation in our Christian life, it is because we have moved our attention from Christ to something else. We saw earlier, these fleeting pleasures, these encumbrances, these sins will drag you down, will tie you up. But Christ releases you and gives you the motivation and the strength and the encouragement and the endurance to continue on in the race. As you focus on sin and distraction, you lose motivation. And that's very often, not, not always, but very often what depression is. People who have lost their motivation and purpose in their lives because they aren't looking to Christ. It's the only place you're going to find the purpose that will give you satisfaction in life. 
Christ has the power to overcome any obstacle, any temptation, any difficulty with incomparable perfection. And if you are a Christian, then you have that same power of Christ living in you. We just forget that. We get distracted by all the things around us. In our fight against the fleeting pleasures of sin, we need to recognize that the best offense is a good what? Yeah, we're getting ready for football. It's coming. It's a good defense, right? We spend a lot of time on the do's and don'ts, right? We can focus a lot on the do's and don'ts of our Christian life because it's a lot easier to see. We often neglect the most important part of the fight, and that's what we believe. It is the faith that we have in Christ. It is the the focus of our mindset on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis. That's the whole point. That's where we began in the hall of faith, right? The author is saying, hey, you remember everyone throughout the history of the world who lived faithfully and how they did that by faith? They did it by faith. Okay, now you too. It's basically what he's saying here. It's no secret. Instead, we we walk around and we live in a, a spiritual stupor throughout our life without any intentional effort in our thinking. Do you know that you're in control of what you think? You know that? A lot of people act like they don't. You're in control of what you think. You're either going to walk by the spirit in your thinking or you're going to walk by the flesh in your thinking. But we're such passive thinkers. We just allow everything around us to guide and steer and direct the way that we think. I was sitting there like, that was a pointless video. Oh, look, another one's starting. (laughs) Right? We've all been there. Christian, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing? It's time to wake up from your laziness and run the race. Run it. Lace up your running shoes and hit the track of your Christian life with intense vigor and focus. Stop fooling around and wasting your time with meaningless, fleeting pleasures and consider Christ. Set your mind on him. Some of your lives have been wasted on meaningless, trivial things when there's infinite joy offered in Christ. Lay aside the empty distractions of this life and blaze the trail for Jesus. Blaze the trail for Christ. Fix your eyes on the finish line. That's the number one rule of racing. Look to the end and don't get distracted. So we close, I want to read a poem called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. This should be the attitude of every one of us in here. This should characterize 2024 for each one of you, for our church, for the rest of your lives. The poem will be on the screen so you can focus along. I have yet to successfully read this out loud without crying, but I'm going to try. All right? I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. 
The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with and down with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I'm, I no longer need prominence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I know. <laughs> Live by faith. Lean on his presence. Walk by patience. Lift by prayer. And labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up. <laughs> until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. May that be the cry of our hearts as we run the race of our lives. The intentions of 2023 have come and gone and we now look ahead to another year and before we know it, we'll be on another December 31st. How will you run this year? Montage is over. You're ready for the fight, fit for the race. You understand the path moving forward. What's next is for you to spend this year fixing your eyes on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are awesome in holiness and majestic in your glory. So vast beyond our comprehension, Lord, that it boggles our minds when we even try to think deeply on you. Lord, you've created all things. You've made us as worshipers. Help us, Lord, to worship you alone, to set you in our sights and to never look away. We praise you for this year that has passed. And we're eager for this year ahead. Work in us, Lord. Change us. Drive us to the cross. Drive us to repentance of sin. Motivate in us growth and godliness in our thinking and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.